Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. Sundays, I've tried to walk with you through God's Word and help you understand what the Bible tells us about heaven. Because this book is our only true source. This is the one that we can count on. And interestingly, the Bible does tell us a whole lot about heaven. And today, as we wind up this series, what I want to do is answer some questions that I most ask about heaven. Of course, I can't do all of them, but I will do a few of them. And then at the close of the service this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to invite Jesus and heaven into your heart and life. That's the most important decision that you could ever make. And the best gift that I could ever give you is to offer you the gospel, the good news of the gospel. So let's talk about these questions that come to me. Number one, do little babies and small children go to heaven when they die? And what we normally say, sure, they do because they're innocent. Not anything more innocent than a baby or a small child. Now listen to me. I believe with all my heart, mind, and soul that Babies and small children go to heaven, but not because they're innocent. Because the Bible tells us no one is innocent. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. Babies are born with a sinful nature. And we die because we're sinners. That's the curse. Death is the curse. So, and if you have a two-year-old child, you know that children are sinners. <laughs> One lady had several, three, three small children who were just driving her insane, and a man was watching this thing happen. And it quietened down a little bit, and he said, we walked over, and he said to the lady, lady, if you had it all to do over, would you still have children? She said, yes, but not the same ones. Well, if you have uh, little children, you know that they have a sinful nature. But God knows that a child, a baby, cannot understand the gospel, cannot realize sinfulness, cannot repent. And so babies and small children are close to God's heart. In fact, there's a little course that says Jesus loves all the little children of the world. And it's because, listen to me, it's because of God's character. He credits the sins of children to the account of Jesus Christ. And that is the only way they get into heaven. And by the way, that's the only way that you and I get into heaven, is accepting what Christ did on the cross. Number two, will we be male and female in heaven? Some try to prove that there's no gender in heaven. I'll tell you where they get it. They get it from Galatians 3.28. 
that says in Christ there is neither male nor female. But, but what that is, that's talking about equality. That's talking about in Christ that a man and a woman are equally accepted, equally loved, equally special, equally valuable. That's what that verse is talking about. I think Jesus is our exhibit A. He was not genderless after the resurrection. In fact, you look at your Bible and it uses the masculine pronoun when it's talking about Jesus. And Jesus was never mistaken for a woman. 500 people or so saw him. So human bodies are not genderless. They are not now. They will not be then. And the point of the resurrection, the whole point of this, this body thing, this human body thing is so important is because the body that we have now is one day going to be resurrected. And no matter how one dies, natural death, blown to pieces, one day God, and God made man out of the dust of the earth, God is going to put those pieces back together. And we're going to have that body, though it be a resurrected body, we'll have that same body for eternity. And so we will be male and female, except perfect men and perfect women. The third question. Will, will we be married in heaven? Now, I know some are hoping you won't. That's, uh, I, I, there's a tombstone, that, a double tombstone. And the, the man had done the tombstone, evidently left the message before he died, and said, here we lie in death, my wife and me in peace and silence. When the rapture comes, if she gets up, I'll just lie still. In other words, if she's going, I'll just stay here. But yes, there will be marriage in heaven, but it will be one marriage. We will be married to Christ. We, the church, become his bride forever, resulting in perfect intimacy. Every man and woman craves perf to be perfectly known, to be perfectly loved, to be perfectly accepted, to be perfectly understood. And all of that happens in our marriage to Christ. Matthew twenty-two thirty says, At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Ephesians 5.31, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Now you've heard me many times in talking about marriage when I say that marriage is a taste of heaven. Marriage is a taste of what's going to happen one day when we have ultimate intimacy when we have ultimate understanding, when we have ultimate fulfillment. There are no perfect marriages on this earth. But one day in heaven, there will be. So, we will not be married to our mates in heaven. But I do think, and I believe the Bible gives us this information, at least we can 
read from what the Bible tells us, it seems to, to make this implication. That there is continuity between earth and heaven. And that your, listen to me, your closest and deepest friends, the people that you are the closest to and love the most in heaven, you will still be the closest and love those people the most. Because we continue that relationship. Humanly speaking, I'll be honest with you, it's hard for me to imagine heaven without being married to Lee. We're lovers. We're best friends. We have so many memories together. But as deeply as we know each other, as we try to understand each other, as we love each other, as deep as that is, it is incomplete. It is limited. It is not perfect knowledge. I don't have perfect knowledge of her. She doesn't have perfect knowledge of me. I don't perfectly understand her. If you tell me you understand your wife, you'll lie about other things. She doesn't perfectly understand me. So now all of that is limited. Before I, I got married, I, and Leo backed this up, I, I wrote to her one of the many letters that I wrote in those courtship days. And I told her that I loved her, but that she would never be first place in my life because Christ had that place reserved. But that I hoped because of that, I would be a better husband to her and one day a better father to our children. And Lee felt the same way, that Christ was first in her life. And it's only when Christ is first place in both the life of the husband and the wife do you have the possibility to have the best marriage that you can have on this earth. But in heaven, we will both, Lee and I will both be married to the one we love the most, Jesus Christ. And we both, what you see what she has wanted all these years and what I've craved all these years is somebody who will love me perfectly and understand me perfectly and accept me perfectly. And that's what she's craved. And in this life, that's limited. But So our marriage is, is a picture of what we one day will have. It's a little taste of what we can have in heaven. Because in heaven, we are married to the one who perfectly loves us, perfectly understands us, perfectly accepts us, perfectly fulfills us, perfectly meets all our needs. I get me excited. What about you? That's what heaven is going to be like. Remember the Sadducees tried to trick Jesus with a question about marriage and heaven. And they told him about a woman who had seven husbands, and they said, now tell us, you know, who's going to be her husband in heaven? And if Jesus uh, let them know that the institution of marriage will end with this life. It will have served its purpose. But two people come into Christ and loving each other with God's kind of love can have the best of this life and the best of the life to come. Number four, will we know our friends in heaven? Listen carefully. I cannot give you specific scripture to back this up, but from all I've studied about heaven in the Bible and read from other authors and commentaries, I believe 
that the three things that matter most on earth, these are they, faith, family, and friends, will be the same three things that matter most on the other side. And so I believe that the close relationship that I have with my wife, with my daughters, with my son-in-laws, with my grandchildren, with my close friends, I believe those relationships will not only continue in heaven, but they will be enhanced greatly, even better than what's here on earth. In marriage seminars, many times I use a, a pyramid or an inverted triangle, and I have God at the top, and then I have the husband and the wife at the bottom. And I explain that the closer each one of you gets to God, the closer you get to each other. The closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other. So in heaven, we are going to be the closest to those that we loved that we've ever been. We're going to have perfect relationships with those we loved on earth. Now that excites me. Because I don't know about you, but uh, all of my friends aren't perfect. And in earth relationships, there's some bumps here and there from time to time. But not so in heaven. And uh, Paul encouraged the Thessalonians to look forward to seeing their loved ones in heaven. So I believe the Bible indicates that a definite continuity between earth and heaven, between this life and the next life. And I believe that in heaven, we just pick up where we left off in earth, and it just gets better, and so much better that we can't even imagine now how good it's going to be. But now let me bring up something that gets a little touchy. What about friends and family who are not in heaven? And I can tell you at the, at the beginning that no matter how much you love somebody on this earth, if that person does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that person is not going to be in heaven with you. That means that some men in this room may not be in heaven with their wives, or you may not be in heaven with your children or your grandchildren, because nobody gets to heaven outside of relationship with Jesus Christ. But here's, here's the question. Will I know that my, if I'm in heaven, will I know that my friends or family members are not going to make it? Will I be sad because of that? In other words, they've gone on to heaven and they're looking down on earth. And they know that family members, loved ones, a mother, a father, or child is not going to make it. Well, here's a place where we cannot be dogmatic. We cannot be stubborn. Because there's one verse of Scripture that seems to indicate one thing, and then there are many other verses that seem to indicate something else. So anytime you find that, we cannot be stubborn or dogmatic. And you can decide what you feel, because uh, let me tell you what we do know. The Bible does not contradict itself. 
We may be confused, but God's not. The Bible's not. The second thing, what we know or don't know doesn't matter. Heaven is the way it should be, and that's perfect. So as far as to, to what's going on between loved ones and family who are in heaven and those on earth, these left behind, even if it's not good, it doesn't really change heaven. It doesn't diminish heaven in any way. Now, we may not understand how all that takes place. But when you go to be in the presence of the Lord, even though you may know what's going on on earth, and it may seem sad to you, it does not diminish heaven, and it's going to be okay. But here's the verse that uh, people use in, in Psalm 9, verse 5. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. So th this seems at least some people draw from this verse that this means that our unsaved loved ones will not be remembered. This is how they handle this thing. It will be as if they never lived. Like a spiritual amnesia that when you get on the other side, you don't remember anything from this side. And I'm sure that one of the reasons people want to believe that is because that brings some comfort because... Uh, when I get to heaven, I certainly want to forget a lot of things that happened down here and a lot of mistakes that I've made. Uh, I want that to, uh, to be behind me uh, forever. But here's, here's how somebody has put this. One commentator said, Just as a person who has never been born is not known on earth, then a person who has never been born again is not known in heaven. And th those who take this position, here's the bottom line. The Bible says that in heaven you will not experience sadness, but it will be perfect joy and perfect happiness for eternity. No sadness in heaven, no tears in heaven, no pain in heaven. Therefore, if you knew that one of your family members was not going to make it, uh, then you would be sad. You would be brokenhearted. You would be crying. If it happened to be a child or a parent, you might have a, a, a meltdown over it. And so that's, that's why they take the position that they take on that, on that verse of Scripture. But now let me give you the other side, the, another position. And that is that memory is the basic element of personality. And because we are ourselves, and I really believe the Bible teaches this, we are ourselves forever. There is a continuity between earth and heaven. We pick up where we left off. It appears that the martyrs in Revelation 6 know that God has not yet brought judgment on their persecutors. And so based on that, you would assume that they're looking down from heaven these martyrs who've gone on knowing that God's judgment has not yet come. They're at least able to see some of what's happening on earth. In Revelation 18 verse 20, when Babylon falls, an angel calls on people in heaven, 
an angel tells the people in heaven to rejoice because your enemy has finally received the judgment of God. That seems to indicate that we know what's happening here on earth. Then in Revelation 19, verses 1 through 5, we have the roar of that great multitude in heaven shouting hallelujah and, and praising God for judgments on earth. If you studied the book of the Revelation with us, you remember that. That there was this rejoicing in heaven when judgment was finally coming on this earth. Remember when Moses and Elijah were called to come from heaven to the Mount of Transfiguration. And there they talked with Jesus about his departure from earth into heaven. And so it appears that they, Moses and Elijah, were able to see from heaven and know what was happening on earth. And they came down at that specific time and talked about the departure of Christ from this earth. That's Luke 9, 31. When Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus, they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring fulfillment to fulfillment at Jerusalem. And then in uh, Hebrews 12, we are instructed uh, that, that life is a race. And uh, that this race is marked out for us and we're to persevere. And that there is this cloud of witnesses who are cheering us on. Now that passage and the way I preach that passage and the way I believe in my own heart is that we have friends and loved ones on the other side who are pulling for us and cheering for us that we will persevere. I think my preacher daddy is, is up there in heaven pulling for me even today hoping I'll you know, get one good sermon out and uh, help you understand this concept of heaven. So that seems to indicate that we know some things, at least certain things, at least about end-time events and some things that are happening on, on this earth. One thing is for certain. Christ in heaven knows everything that's happening on earth, and he cares about everything that's happening in the lives of his children. And of course, those who've gone on are with Christ in heaven, and they may well know also. The Bible says the angels know. 1 Timothy 3.16 Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in the glory. And then in 1 Corinthians 4.9 For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena, we have, made, we have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels, as well as to men. Now that seems that not only do the angels know what's happening, happening to God's people, but men in heaven, people in heaven, also know what's happening. And we could just say, if angels would know, why would not God's redeemed family know what's happening on earth? We don't have time to talk about the Abraham and uh, Lazarus and the rich man over in Hades calling for Lazarus the beggar uh, to go warn his five brothers about this place of torment so that they would repent. And of course, the Word of God says they would repent if, if one came back from the dead because they've not believed the prophets. Another indication that we know what's happening. So the angels know, 
And by the way, I don't think the angels give a holy grunt over most of what happens. Uh, but the angels do get excited about certain things in heaven. And it may well be that those who are there get excited with the angels. Verse, Luke 15, verse 10, listen. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. Well, you see, I'm just, a, you know, I'm just a practical guy, but I believe that, that when people get saved in this church, the angels get excited. I believe there's excitement and joy in heaven. Well, now let me tell you, if I'm there and I hear the angels getting excited about people getting saved, you think I'm not going to get excited? I sure am. And that's something to rejoice over, and it seems that at least that, when people get saved, we know from heaven... What's happening? And uh, I guess that, you know, the, even if something is happening that's not good, something that, that results in sorrow or sadness, because we look down and we see what's happening. We see our loved one who's not coming to Christ. How, how do you reconcile that with no tears in heaven? Well, as if you remember when I... When I talked about Revelation 21, we took that whole chapter. And when, when he talks about no sorrow in heaven and about the tears, he is not talking about the final heaven, the new earth and the new heaven. He's talking about the intermediate heaven. At the time of the new earth and the new heaven, old things are passed away. All things become new. And then in one, one sweep, he removes tears forever, sorrow forever, sadness forever. And that's the, the timing it appears to be in the book of the Revelation, that when you talk about those tears, so it may mean, yes, that there could be tears in heaven. But again, listen to me, listen carefully. If you have loved ones there and you're concerned, listen to me, listen carefully. It does not diminish heaven for them one bit. So whatever they are feeling, it is still heaven, and it's okay. I think it's even better that they are pulling for some of you this morning in this service to get saved. And they're going to rejoice with the angels when you do. Revelation 21, 4 is when he said, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. But until then, there could be some tears in heaven. Uh, number six, will we eat in heaven? I, I think I've covered that in the other messages. I know that's a big subject, especially at Thanksgiving. And did I have wonderful Thanksgiving food? It was absolutely wonderful. In heaven, it's, uh, it's that kind of food. Uh, you know, I, it's wonderful all the time. I think it's all you can eat, celestial buffets, uh, without calories, without carbs. Remember, heavy on the chocolate, the sugar. John, 1 John 3, 2, Dear friends, now we're children of God, and what we shall be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. That's the great thing about heaven. We're going to be like Jesus. 
And then Luke 24, 43, and he took and ate in their presence. This is the resurrected Jesus. He was eating, we're going to eat. Revelation 19, 9, the angel said, right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's what we call dinner in Alabama, supper. The wedding supper of the Lamb. In verse 22, chapter 22, verse 2, down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, each yielding its fruit every month, a different kind of fruit every month, the fruit of the month in heaven. Number seven, what will we do in heaven? I, wanna, I can tell you that we won't spend eternity floating on clouds, strumming harps, or polishing angels' wings. That's not what we're going to do. Heaven is a place of movement and activity. It lasts for eternity, but you will not be bored a second. And God can pull that off. What we'll do? We'll worship. When I see the face of Jesus, I'm telling you, I'm going to turn Baptocostal and have a throwdown fit, and it may last a thousand years. I'm going to worship. I'm going to worship, and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. I'm going to cut loose. And hang out and thank Him and praise Him and worship Him. We'll sing. Revelation 15, 13, and they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just, just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will, not, who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. In chapter 5, verse 9, it says, And they sang a new song. You're worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain and with blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. There will be singing in heaven and in heaven I will sing in the right key. The, I will have perfect pitch. You see, on this earth, Nobody appreciates my singing but God and my mom, and I'm not even sure about my mom. But when we get to heaven, we're going to sing. And since you brought it up, don't you think we ought to practice now? Don't, you, you know what I see on, on a given Sunday morning, 9 out of 10 Sundays, 10 out of 10 Sundays, I see so many people like this during the singing. Bless me if you can. Go ahead, try it. Can I tell you, you get what you come for? If you come expecting to be bored, you'll, you'll be bored. If you come expecting not to enjoy it, you'll sit there and not enjoy it. You get out of it what you put into it. And every worship service, we ought to sing. And you ought to sing on Sundays. You don't have to get it right. You just have to get her done. And know that Simon Cowell is not listening. God is. He likes your voice. He gave it to you. Number three, we'll serve. We're going to have eternity to serve the Lord. What we're to be about on this earth when we get saved is serving. 
serving our Lord and serving one another. We do that now so imperfectly. We're trying, but it's so imperfectly. But one day we're going to be able to serve perfectly forever and ever. And uh, we're going we're gonna to have fellowship. We're going to talk. Do you realize, those of you who just can't quit talking on this earth, you're going to get to talk forever? You are. And amazingly, probably in all of heaven, you'll find somebody who'll listen to you. But we're going to talk. We're going to laugh. Every now and then I run across starch Baptists who say, well, I don't think we ought to laugh at church. I think that life is funny. I think when you say that, you're funny. I don't want to go to life at church. I think you're funny. And I thank God I'm not going home with you. Life is funny. Kids are funny. Marriage is funny. People are funny. And people are going to heaven. We'll be funny in heaven. Jesus had a sense of humor. God has a sense of humor. Or he wouldn't have made the monkey or the porcupine or some of you. It's going to be laughter in heaven. I wouldn't be happy there without laughter. You wouldn't either. We're going to laugh. We're going to play. We're going to, it's, it's going to be time to, we can, we're going to play for eternity. We, can, we have time to, to work and to build. We'll be doing things. It's going to be a new earth. It's going to be patterned after the earth that we now have. It's going to be familiar to us. It's just going to be earth perfected. Earth ramped up further than we could ever imagine. Now, let me wind up by telling you that heaven is a real place where real people spend a real eternity. It's a prepared place. You've got to have a reservation. If you want to go to heaven, there are four things necessary, absolutely necessary. Number one, you must believe there is a heaven. Number two, you must want to go to heaven. Number three, you must know the way to heaven. And number four, you must take the way to heaven. We've said in this series before, heaven is not the default. Hell is. Nobody goes to heaven automatically. You go to hell automatically. If you do nothing, you'll end up in hell. In John 14, Jesus says, I'm going to heaven, and I'm going to prepare a place for you so that we can be together for eternity. Thomas asked a question. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus didn't just answer. He dropped a bomb. He made a statement that was politically and religiously incorrect. He made a statement that in our culture of a plurality of religions, this kind of statement is what makes the blood of so many people boil. Jesus who had the audacity to answer Thomas this way, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What did Jesus do? He put Christianity in a class all by itself. He made Christianity 
the only way to God, that Jesus is the only path to God. There is no other path. What does that mean? That means that Christianity cannot be reconciled with any other religion in the world. You say, Pastor, are you one of those narrow, arrogant, bigoted, intolerant preachers who think that only Baptists are going to heaven? No, I'm a lot more narrow than that. I know a lot of Baptists aren't going to heaven. I know a lot of members of this church aren't going to heaven. we got over 8,000 members. The FBI, I don't know where most of those are today. They're not all going to heaven. They don't even come to church. What if our membership showed up on one Sunday? We'd fill up half the buildings in Bossier. Listen to me. If Jesus' statement is true, and it is, then it is the most important truth that you will ever be told. And if it is absolutely true, that it's true for everyone. On the other hand, if it is not true, it's the biggest lie that you've ever been told, and it's false for everyone. You have to have the responsibility. You make the decision. True or false? Let me give you the predominant worldviews on how to get to heaven. Number one is religion. Belonging. That's these 8,500 members that belong to this church. They're counting on belonging, belonging to a religion. And one of the consistent threads that runs through every religion in the world is that you belong. Bill O'Reilly on one of his programs uh, told a, a joke. It's an old, real old joke but about St. Peter leading a group of new arrivals in heaven on a tour of heaven, their first tour of heaven. And they got to this one area, and, and the Peter turned to the, to the group, and he said, shh, 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 don't say anything till we get over here. And so they didn't say anything until they got out of here in distance, and one of the, the new souls in heaven said, uh, St. Peter, why, why, did we, why did we do that? He said, well, we just passed that room. Those are the Southern Baptists, and they think they're the only ones here. <laughs> but now I want you to listen to me. I want to give you the quote that Bill O'Reilly made following that story. As he talked about it, no matter what I say, everybody gets upset, especially the fundamentalist. Here's what he said. The most important thing I can say about religion is that it is a good thing for all of us to have. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe in something. I hope he doesn't believe what he said. Because if he does, he won't be in heaven. And yet that's a predominant worldview. The world says, keep the commandments, go to church, be good. Good people go to heaven. Bad people go to hell. The truth is, you can't keep the commandments. We've all broken them. One or all of them. The truth is, going to church doesn't, doesn't change your life. won't get you to heaven. The truth is, there's nobody good. The Bible says, not one good man on the face of the earth. Well, we say labels don't matter. They all get you there. 
That's what he's saying. Labels don't matter. They all get you there. Half of that statement's true. Labels don't matter. They're going to blow off going up or burn off going down. Labels don't matter. But the other half of that statement is absolutely false that says they all get you there. That's not true. All religions do not teach the same things. All religions and beliefs are not equal. Christianity is not a religion. The uniqueness of Christianity is found in the uniqueness of Jesus himself. The other religious leader says, follow me and I will show you the way to heaven. Jesus says, follow me, I am the way to heaven. There's a big difference. Other religious leaders says, follow me and I'll show you the way to meaningful life. Jesus says, I am meaningful life. I am life. More people are going to hell the religious route than any other way. So the predominant worldview is religion. Be religious. Belong. Number two, righteousness. Be good. Behave. Christianity is different from all other religions. It's not what you do. It's what God has done for you in Christ. And he offers you a, a free gift of salvation. Because you see, other religions have these premises. It's something we do. And it's something we are. Do this, be this, and you'll get to heaven. Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and your name drive out demons, perform miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, ye evildoers. And Ephesians 2, 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Predominant worldviews. This is how you get to heaven. Worldview number one, religion, belong. Worldview number two, righteousness, behave. Worldview number three, relationship, belief. That's the biblical worldview and the only worldview that will get you into heaven. Barbara Walters in that story on, on heaven says, what are the rules for getting into heaven? Christianity says it's not rules. It's relationship. The Bible is conclusive. Jesus is not a way to heaven. He is the way. He is the only way. What is your personal view to get to heaven? You're going to die. The statistic on death is 100%. You're going to die. How are you going to get into heaven? Living a good life? The Bible says you can't be good enough. Church membership? The Bible teaches church can't save. Good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. Not enough good deeds to make it. The hymn says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground, all other belief systems, all other religions are sinking sand. And how do you come to Jesus? Come just as you are. With your hang-ups, your doubts, your sins. 
Don't try to clean up your life first. You can't clean up your life. You've already tried that. You need Christ in your heart and life to help you clean up that life. Would you bow your heads in prayer? Father, speak to our hearts right now across this building. I pray that those who have never come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will do so in this very service. We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry.